Hey, um, I, I just want to say for those of you who did the beach, well done. And you're actually here. I just like, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I think some of you must be so exhausted. I got up at six this morning um, because there was a south swell. Yeah, coming in and it was massive. Um, and I took my 11-year-old son surfing, um, and he had never surfed that big of waves before, and he got up. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. Um, and, then, and then we went from there over to Steamer Lane, which is kind of like the hot spot. Um, it's, it's like legendary. And all of a sudden, as we're there just kind of watching, um, this kid named Nat Young, who's like top 30 surfer in the world, shows up. And they, they are literally like, they walk to a cliff, and this is what they do. Throw their boards in and just jump off the cliff. And I was like, this is next level. This is like neck, and my son's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, that's, that's what professionals do, I guess. They just jump off. And, and then just to watch them catch these like 15 footers. I mean, I think they were 15 footers. We were like 40 feet up watching them. And it was unbelievable. And then I thought to myself, well, I think Half Moon Bay is like 45 miles that way. It was a little bit farther. Um, but we drove, and there's a place called Mavericks, which is like big wave surfing. So I took my whole family. We hike over there, and we just watch these incredible waves just breaking. And I just sat there, and I'm like, God's creation is so incredible. And all you people who live in California, don't take it for granted. It's so good. But as I watched this kid like jump in off of this cliff into the water, I thought of an old John Wimber quote. And John Wimber, he, um, he was a guy who showed up uh, at, at a Calvary Chapel service a number of years ago um, in Costa Mesa. He was the producer of the Righteous Brothers, um, and he loved like mixing sound and all of a sudden, he, he just felt like there was some gap and hole in his life and in his story, and, and music wasn't satisfying and wasn't giving him significance. It just wasn't delivering, and so uh, he started showing up to the church, and he, he met Jesus, and God began to do an amazing work in him, and um, he ended up kind of leading the vineyard movement, but he had this one line, and it's, it was, it, I was just reminded of it today, and then even during that song, through it all, I was reminded of it, and, and his quote was simply this, the way in is the way on. I just think it's so beautiful. Like the way in, grace, is the way on, grace, grace, grace. And I, I've been thinking a lot about that for today, and, and, and I think sometimes it becomes so easy for us to hold the grace that we have been so freely given to ourselves. And what I want to do today is I want to just introduce you to one of my heroes in scripture. Um, if anybody asks me, besides Jesus, who do I most want to be like in the scriptures? It's a guy by the name of Ananias. Not the one who stole money from the church, that's a bad dude. But, but there's another Ananias who I believe is like many of us, where people who wanna go deep with Jesus, where people who wanna actually have an experience with God, and yet we have raw human emotions and fears. And you're gonna find, I think, in this story, uh, this guy is not even mentioned more than a dozen times in scripture, but I believe he transforms um, the trajectory of the gospel uh, in so many ways. The reason that many of us are here in this room um, is because of Ananias. 
And I'll explain that in a moment. But if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I know this is going to be familiar for many of you, but, but hopefully you can hear this story maybe with some fresh eyes. We'll start in verse 10. It says this, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. We'll stop right there. Damascus is about 150 miles from Jerusalem. So 150 miles from Jerusalem, there's no cars, there's no trains, there's no airplanes. 150 miles from Jerusalem, there is a Talmudim. Now this is Hebrew for disciple. A student of a rabbi. And this student of a rabbi is named Ananias. And Ananias is what we know of. He's just a part of the church there in Damascus. And this Talmudim, this disciple, this student of a rabbi, to be a Talmudim, you had to have high devotion and high desire to be like your rabbi. And what we know of him from later on in the book of Acts is this man was devoted to Jesus. Devoted. And all of a sudden, he, can have, he has this experience where in a vision, he hears God say to him his own name, Ananias, and his first answer is, yes, Lord. I love this because I believe that the supernatural activity of God begins when you say yes to his promptings, to his whispers, to his leading and I believe that God is everywhere. And if God is everywhere, then God is up to something. And if God is up to something, then God actually, like I said yesterday, chose to put his image in us so that by our very choices, by our very life, we would be able to proclaim what our God is like and how great and how faithful and good he is. And God wants to use you. And all he's looking for is a bunch of people to say yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Once Ananias says yes, look what the Lord says. The Lord tells him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you have a moment where you actually say yes to God. Maybe you're in Starbucks. Maybe you're in the marketplace. Maybe you're walking around your neighborhood and all of a sudden you experience God kind of prompting or whispering to you or kind of leading you. You say yes and then he goes, okay, now go talk to them. And this is what God is doing to Ananias. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to downtown Damascus. I want you to go on Straight Street. There's a guy named Judas and inside Judas's house there's a man from Tarsus named Saul, and Ananias knows who this man is. A number of years ago, I was in Burundi, Bujumbura, Burundi. We had raised a ton of money, and what we were hoping to do was take all of this money that we had raised in the U.S. and give it to some women to help them start businesses that would bless their families, bless their city, bless their churches, bless the kingdom. The problem was that there were three political officials who had not yet responded to our request to be given permission and clearance to take these funds and get it to these women. So I and about seven others fly to Bujumbura to have a meeting. And we're, I fly in super late at night. The next morning I wake up, I go into this boardroom. It's being led by a marketplace leader. And this guy is basically saying, hey, it's up to us 
to come up with an idea to get all of this money to, this, to these women. And he realizes right away, y'all have no good ideas. And he's such a good leader, he goes, you're not wasting my day. And so at 1045, he dismisses us and says, okay, here's the deal. You all, you have the afternoon off, but at 6 p.m. at dinner time, you better show up with one good idea. Dismissed. Pack up my like, little notebook, put it in my backpack. I, I'm walking away. I look at my buddy. I'm like, man, what, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to take a nap. I'm like, yeah, God speaks through dreams. I've seen that in the text. <laughs> I walk to my hotel. I sit down on the bed. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and I have the strangest prompting, go for a run. Now, I've never been to Bujumbura before. Flew in super late at night. But I, I know this. I know this feeling. I know this voice. I know this sense. And so I put on some basketball shorts, and I decide to run. And I'm running, and I go by like a, a UN vehicle. I make a right, make a left. I find myself running all through downtown Bujumbura, and I come to the center of the center of the center of Bujumbura, which is a park. And inside this massive park is a basketball court, and there is about 500 people around this basketball court. And so there I am just running to this court, and I'm like, eh, there's some action there. Let me just walk up to the game. I'm watching the game for a few moments when someone stops and pokes me and goes, you good? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm all right. He goes, no, 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 you good in basketball? I said, uh, I'm, I'm okay. He goes, no, 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 if I choose you, do we win? <laughs> now, here's the thing. You might not know this, but I played Division I basketball at Cal State Fullerton, go Titans. Now, play is probably not the right word. I did sit the bench, but I got free shoes, all right? <laughs> so I know how to play basketball. I know how to scout. And so I'm sitting there, and this guy's asking me an honest question. If I choose you, are we going to win? And I'm like, I don't want to lie. And I'm like, I think we do all right. He goes, okay, hey, you, you're out. You're in. And I'm like, what in the world? I'm like not even stretching. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I don't even, I don't know what I'm doing. But I kid you not, for the next 90 minutes, we go 6-0. At the end of it, they literally bring us like a basket of money. And I, I, had, I didn't even know that I had joined like the Burundi Basketball Association. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like thinking about this for a second. I'm like, this is crazy. Then the guy walks up to me and he goes, tomorrow, championship game, same time, be here. And I'm like, I, man, I, I don't think I can do that. He goes, why? I'm like, well, I got meetings. Well, about what? I said, well, we raised all this money, but we're trying to get it to these women to, like, bless the city of Bujumbura. We got these three political officials who don't give us any clearance. He goes, what are their names? And I rattle off one, two, three, their names. He goes, I'm the second one. <laughs> Which I'm like, check your email, bro. <laughs> and then he looks at me and he goes, okay, I got a deal for you. We win tomorrow, I take your meeting. Now, have you ever had to return back to another meeting when you had the secret answer? <laughs> so I come back at 6 p.m. dinner time, and I'm like, what do you think we should do, Danny? <laughs> oh, show up super early, and maybe we catch them before they go into their office? Good idea. I'd rather sleep. I'm just, like, joking around. And then, then finally they go, Carter, like, what do you think? And I just said, you know, here, here's, here's all I know. I know that God is here. They're like, yeah, God's here in Bujumbura, totally. I said, I, I know, I know that God is in, like, the Bible is real and God has, like, inspired the word of God. He goes, yeah. And I said, thirdly, I know for a fact that God's 
favorite sport is the game of basketball. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? And so I tell them the story, and the business leader who's leading the meeting goes, okay, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to leave this table right now. If you need a massage, you go get a massage. If you need room service, you get room service. You better win that game because there are women. The city of Bujumbura is like dependent on this. And so next day we win the game. They take the meeting. The money goes to all of these women. And, and you probably wonder, why did I tell you this story? Because it's so bizarre. And it's so of God. And here, here's the truth. I believe that God has an only God story for you. And I don't just believe he has one. I believe he wants to give you a plethora of only God's stories. Faith, adventure, stories. The kind of stories that people are like, what? No way. The kind of stories that make people kind of step back and go, only God. And I'm telling you, this is what God has for you. This is why Ananias is so moving to me is because God is giving Ananias an opportunity, an invitation to a grander story, a grander vision. But it requires some risk. I need you to go to this house. Saul of Tarsus is there. <laughs> Look what it continues on. God's so great. He says this, in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <laughs> this is how much trust God has in Ananias. He actually has placed the idea in Saul's mind that Ananias is going to come. That's how much trust he has in his Talmudim, in his disciples, in his students of Jesus. In a vision... Have you ever had one of those visions? Those visions where you can like almost see something happening before it actually happens? My buddy Jose, he, he's a car salesman, don't hold that against him, um, but he works for a Nissan dealership outside of Chicago. And if they sold eight Nissans in one day, it was the last day of November, if they sold eight Nissan cars in this one day, they would break every Nissan record. And so their general manager calls all of the salespeople together and goes, all right, all right, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to do, here's what we do. And Jose has this prompting, this whisper that he knows, that he feels like it's from God, that he goes, man, the general manager is going to ask you in a moment how many cars you're going to sell. And when he asks you, tell him you're going to sell four cars. And Jose's like, wait, wait, what? I've only ever sold two in one day. Tell him you're going to sell four. And tell him that if you sell four, he's got to come to one of the Christmas Eve services at your church. And Jose's like, what? Is this like bad pizza? Like, what is this? And so in this moment, all of a sudden, it happens. It like, he, general manager goes, how many can you get? Guy goes, I'll get one. Good. How about you? Two. How about you? One. Jose? Jose goes, four. General manager's like, What? He goes, yeah, yeah, if I do four, though, you got to come with me to one of our nine Christmas Eve services at our church. General manager goes, if you sell four cars, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He's like, awesome. So Jose leaves, gets on the horn. By noon, he sold two cars. Then he goes in like a five-hour drought. By like 5.30, some guy comes in, sells another car. He's got three, one more to go. And then nine minutes before closing time, all of a sudden, he sees someone walking. It's like fresh prey walking into the dealership. And all of a sudden, he stands up, gets ready, but another salesperson smells blood and goes after him. 
And all of a sudden, he's like, ah. And he starts to turn around, and he hears the other salesperson say, hey, man, ah, welcome to the Nissan. Can I help you? The guy goes, yeah. Is there a guy named Jose here? And Jose's like, that's me. Jose turns around, and he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm Jose. And he goes, hey, man, um, you sold a, a car to a buddy of mine a number of years ago. And he just spoke of your integrity. And uh, I have a Nissan Sentra. It totally just, after 15 years, died. I just need the cheapest Nissan Sentra. Just hopefully it's not the color purple, and I will buy it right now. And ends up buying a Nissan Sentra. Jose gets all of it sent off to, like, finance, and he gets out his phone. He texts his boss and goes, sold four cars. We broke the record. What one of these nine Christmas Eve services are you coming to? And the boss doesn't respond. He just ghosts him. The next day, Jose shows up. And he's in his like little cubicle world. And all of a sudden, the general manager sees him and goes, all right, all right. Jose, come to my office. Has Jose sit down. Jose sits down. General manager pulls out his checkbook and goes, all right, man. We wouldn't have broken the record without you. How much do you want your bonus to be? So now Jose has got an opportunity. He had conviction, this vision from God, but now he's been tempted with cash. And then Jose does something so beautifully. He just says, I don't want your money. I want you to hold your end of the bargain. What one of the nine Christmas Eve services are you going to go to? And the general manager slams his fist down on his own desk and goes, I'm not going to your dumb church, and walks out of his own office. And this is where Jose is like so brilliant. He goes, I'm not leaving. I'm going to wait him out. And so he sits there for 15, 20 minutes until the general manager walks back in and goes, all right, Jose, you're right. We had a deal. But here's my deal back to you. If I got to go, then all of these jokers out here have to go too. <laughs> yeah. And on December 21st, 138 employees and their family members from a local Nissan dealership showed up to our church. Yeah, and I sit here and I go, it was because one guy in a circle had this prompting from God, and what did he say? He said yes. Friends, I'm just telling you, God is on the move, and God wants to use car salesmen. God is on the move, and God is looking for Talmudim, disciples, students of Jesus, to use, to give them only God's stories. When God prompts and God whispers, may you say yes. But what I love about Ananias, he's human. He's real. He's just like you and me when God prompts us and God invites us to step into something more. Look what he says in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I know, God, you've got like a thousand cattle on the hills. I know that like you control it all. But Lord, have you been watching the news? <laughs> like, do you know who Saul is? He gave the permission slip for Stephen to be killed. He, Stephen was the first martyr. And now we're 150 miles away from Jerusalem. We're like a little something. And we're, yes, we're talking about Jesus. And yes, we're, we're preaching. Yes, we're going after our city. But like 150 miles away, and he's gotten clearance and permission to come after us. And he's going to arrest us. He's probably going to beat us. 
Who knows what he wants to do to us? God, are you sure? Are you sure? I think sometimes we as Western Christians can sometimes live too safe. And sometimes, you know that little zoom in button on your computer? Like Google Zoom, and you can like zoom into your, your, your like street, and then into your house. And like you can like go from space, and you can just keep zooming in, and you're like, oh, that's what's in my neighbor's backyard. That's creepy. But like you can literally like just keep zooming in. I think sometimes we zoom in on people's differences, people's past, people's skin color. Uh, just what people like or dislike or how they are different from us. I remember a number of years ago, I, I was doing a peacemaking trip. And I took a team from Southern California to Israel and Palestine. And we were talking about reconciliation and peacemaking. And I was in Bethlehem, which is Palestinian territory, and it was super late at night. And I was staying at the Intercontinental Hotel, and I, I, all of a sudden, all of the internet went down. And I really wanted to be a good husband and, and, and try and connect with my family. I was going to FaceTime them. And so I, I found some free Wi-Fi across the street at a hookah lounge. And my thought was I'd just go stand outside the hookah lounge and steal free Wi-Fi. And as I'm walking across the street, all of a sudden I see four Palestinian soldiers in fatigues with massive guns. It's 1.30 at night. And, and, and to kind of make matters even a little bit crazier, probably 100 yards from them is the security barrier that separates Israel from Palestine. And there was an Israeli soldier, two, three stories up, looking down at those four with a gun pointed. And here's the prompting I hear from God. Go talk to the soldiers. Which my response was, how about you just give me free Wi-Fi? Because <laughs> what did I see? What did I see? Fatigues, guns, Palestinians, difference. And what did God see? People. So I walk up to them and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. It's 1.30. What, how, how do you start a conversation with a Palestinian soldier? So I'm like, hey, beautiful night here in Bethlehem. What's your name? They started telling me their name. They asked me what my name is. I say, my name's Steve. And they're like, oh, like our favorite U.S. actor. I said, who's that? Steven Seagal. Which, which my first response was like, God can use all things for good. That literally came out of my mouth. And, and so we start talking. And, and I, I'm like engaging. It's like just, I'm just feeling like, man, there's something here. And then I say, do you guys live in Bethlehem? They go, no, no, we live in Balada. I'm like, no way. You live in Balada? I'm actually taking a team to Balada. You all are asking, what's Balada? Is it a kind of cheese? What Balada is, is it's about 1.3 square miles. It's a UN refugee camp. 37,000 people live in it. Between buildings, you have to walk like this. It's crazy. And I said, would you give us a tour? They're like, we'd love to. I said, all right, just don't bring your guns. They said, fantastic. And so they end up giving us a tour. We get to the city gate at the end of the tour. And as we're leaving, I look at these, these soldiers, three of the four, and I, I say, hey, have you ever been to this building over here? They're like, no. I'm like, you've never been to this building. You gotta come, you gotta come. They're like, we don't know what it is. I said, just come with us. Now you have to understand, these Palestinian soldiers were non-practicing Palestinian Arab Muslims. And where I was taking them is to a church. And inside the church, very similar to this, 
beautiful tile all on the ground, but underneath there was this staircase that led you to a well. And this well is historic. This well is found in the scriptures. This well is found in John chapter 4 when it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. And I'm here to tell you, no, he didn't because no rabbi went to Samaria. But Jesus did because every person matters to God. And Jesus ends up going to meet with the Samaritan woman at a well. And this is that well. You can Google it and you can still drink of its water. It is so much better than Dasani. I'm sorry if you work for Dasani. Now, here's the deal. I bring them down there. They're like, we've never been here. And in this moment, I just have this just to start speaking. And I look at them, I said, all right, here's the deal. I think every one of us has a desire. And just spending time in this land, I think people have a desire for peace. And in Hebrew, it's shalom. It's, it's where heaven invades earth. Or in Arabic, it's the word salam. And again, it's this picture of everything being brought to right. And Jesus, in John chapter 4, meets with a woman and he begins to tell her what can literally quench her thirst. And it only comes from true living water. And it comes from Christ alone. And I start bringing up this water. And I said, does anybody need this kind of water? This kind of peace? The kind of peace that can come from Christ alone? And the first person to come forward is one of the soldiers. Second, another one of the soldiers Another soldier, three of the soldiers come forward. They end up giving their lives to Christ. It's like this beautiful moment. We end up praying. One of them gives me like a necklace. One of them gives me his senior picture, which was adorable. And like, and, and literally, I, 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 one of the most moving things to me is, is being able to stay connected with these guys on Facebook. And I leave this moment, and I leave them at Bellotta. We get in our bus, and we drive away, and I'm sitting in my bus, pulling out my journal, and I'm thinking, in less than 72 hours, I was looking for free Wi-Fi, and God was looking to expand heaven. And I'm telling you, friends, God has only God's stories for you. God has faith adventures for you. God is stirring, and he's looking for a group of people who will say yes. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be you. You have to be, have this devotion and this desire to, to be a Talmudim, a disciple of Jesus. And yet, God's going to give you invitations to risk. And I love it because Ananias is like, please, God, don't make me. I'm not sure this is right. And look what God says. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, we zoom in. God is like zooming out. He's like Google eternity. And he can see what your neighbor, your coworker, your family members' life will be like if Christ were at the center of their life. We often see the differences. God sees, oh, what I can do. And what Ananias now has to do is, is begin to get his perspective aligned with God's perspective for Saul's life. And then verse 17 is so beautiful. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. 
he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples there in Damascus. You know, the scriptures will tell us later that Saul was there for three days and hadn't eaten. And he was wondering, would Ananias come? And I bet he was wondering, like, why would Ananias come? And I bet he had, like, on replay all of the tapes of the things he had said, all of his pride, all of his anger, even the things that he did, the murderous permission that he gave for Stephen. And I think he just was playing, going, no way Ananias comes. No way it comes. I, I, I often travel with some interns. I believe in the idea of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I had two interns last year. One was 21, one was 26. And we had the privilege to come out to Southern California and we were gonna speak and we had a day off and so we were gonna Sabbath and so we went to In-N-Out where um, it's just holy ground right there. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. I, I can tell you, it's like the Shekinah glory descends in burgerly form. I can, I can tell you about how they were so brilliant. Like it is, it is like a sacrifice because that aroma just goes up and it is pleasing to the Lord and to all of us on the freeway as we just pull over because we smell it and we need it. And I, I, we went there and then from there we went to Barnes and Noble and I said, hey, on me. You choose a book, it's on me. I'll buy it. And so we're all walking, the three of us, we walk through the business section, the leadership section, Christian living section, and then my 21-year-old intern walks to another aisle, and all of a sudden I hear him say, excuse me, are you finding what you're looking for? And then I hear this woman say, no. And then he says, what are you looking for? And she says, a book on grieving. And he says, what are you grieving? And she says, my 22-year-old son just died. And he goes, well, that's a little out of my pay grade, but I have someone here who might know what to do. And he goes, can you give me a second? And he runs over to me and he goes, what do I do? And so I, I walk over it and a friend of mine, September Vaudry, wrote an amazing book. She lost her daughter. It's, it's an amazing book. It's called Colors of Goodbye. If you've not read it, you should. And, and I just say, hey, there's this book called Colors of Goodbye. I think it would really, really serve you in this time. We start having a conversation. We go to the next aisle looking in the Christian living section, Vaudry V. We can't find it. So, hey, go to Amazon. It's cheaper anyway. But we'll, let's, let's just pray. And so we start to pray. A 21-year-old intern starts. I'm hoping that my 27-year-old intern, 26, 27-year-old intern, will actually speak because he's been mute the whole time. He doesn't pray. And then all of a sudden, I, I pray and close it out. And when I say amen, the mute intern goes, there it is. I'm like, what? The book. I'm like, you were praying with your eyes open. He goes, I was. And... um. And then we look and we find this book, The Colors of Goodbye. It's in the wrong religion. It's out of alphabetical order. And all of a sudden, we pull this book out, and I'll never forget handing it to her. And this is her response. I feel like God sees me in my pain. And my own answer was, he does. He's with you and he's for you. And she loses it. And I can't imagine when Ananias showed up and placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul. Not loser Saul, not murderer Saul, not prideful Saul, Brother Saul. 
And God began to work. As we're leaving Barnes and Noble at that moment, I, I, I look at my 21-year-old intern and I'm like, bro, like what? What? What made you ask that question? I heard you. And he goes, I just saw that she was standing in, like, in the trauma and grieving section. And so I just got curious and thought I'd ask, have you found what you're looking for? And I was like, are you kidding me? That is genius. We should start like a subversive Barnes and Noble ministry <laughs> and just stand there and just like, have you found what you're looking for? We'll help you. Like, do you work here? Yeah, totally. No, we don't. <laughs> But I, I just thought that was so amazing. If, if a car salesman can be in tune with God, if a 21-year-old intern could be in tune with God, so can you. And, and, and I read this story, and you got to understand, you get to the New Testament, and I know you know this, but Saul becomes Paul. And much of the New Testament is written. Romans, the theology of Romans the joy that we find in Philippians, the supremacy of Christ in Colossians, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the craziness of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the mentoring of 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I mean, I can go on. The beauty of Ephesians. And here's my question. That when I read just these nine verses, is what if Ananias said no? I'm not going. It's too risky. What will people think? I'm not, I'm not going. It's too dangerous. I'm not, I'm not going. I just can't. I'm too busy. I'm not, I'm not, God, you know what? I hear you, but you're pro you know what? This is my problem. Is I, I truly believe this in my gut. And if I have like one message to give, for the rest of my life, this will be it. I believe that God is here and God is on the move and every environment is brimming with redemptive potential. And that means when you walk into Starbucks, he's there and he actually wants to use you. But here's the problem. Many of us, were on our phones. Many of us, were distracted. And the promptings that God is wanting to use you, your one and only life, Just missing it. And this is what happens, is God's whispering and prompting to me, and what if I say no, then he goes to somebody else, and what if they say no, and if they go to somebody else, and they say no, I think this is why we're seeing a breakdown. In our cities, in our churches, the enemy has more of a stronghold and a foothold than ever before in our counties, our state, our country, the globe. I think heaven gets smaller every time when we hear a prompting from God. Instead of saying yes, we say no. And this is my hope. This is my prayer. And I'm sorry I'm fired up about it, but that's just how I preach. And I get really, really sweaty and I wear the same clothes. I know. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I need you to know this. I believe that God wants to use you, and I believe that you can have a plethora of only God stories. I believe that you can have a faith adventure. I believe that you can be an everyday Ananias. And I hear, I hear this from congreg congregants. I hear this from pastors. I hear this from seminary professors. I read this in blogs where people go, I just wish we had more Pauls today. And can I tell you, you don't have a Paul unless an Ananias shows up. And what if an entire church and families were filled with everyday Ananiases? 
people who said when God whispers, when God prompts, when God stirs, when God leads, we will say yes. So how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you, how do you become those kind of people? And I believe that from the life of Ananias, and I, I, and I see this throughout other stories that I could tell you if I had time in the scriptures, but there are four marks of living this invitational life, a life that invites others into the greatest story ever told. And, the, and these are the four. It's just live, show up, relate, and risk. Live, show up, relate, and risk. And live is be a disciple, a Talmudim. You live deep with Jesus. You want to be more and more like your rabbi every day. Number two, you show up with expectancy. You know that God is there. Even in your workplace, even in your neighborhood, you're constantly stirring, looking, head on a swivel like you're playing help side defense. Like you are constantly going, God, what are you up to? And you're looking to build relationships because this has always ever only been about people. And the only thing that you can take with you into the next reality is people. And the single greatest gift, as a mentor once told me, the single greatest gift you can give someone is an introduction to the God who loves them. And so when you live deep with Jesus, when you show up, when you're looking to build relationships, faces and places, connections, looking for that, then all of a sudden you get the privilege to risk. And risk it all for what matters most. And risk has become an acronym. And I give this to you as a challenge. I give this to you as an invitation. I give this to you praying that you would grab hold of this and apply it to your life. And I think if you get this, you will have stories after stories after story. So here it is, risk. R, rescued people, rescue people. It's pretty simple. Like I said, so many of us, we have this story of grace and we just keep it to ourselves. But the way in is the way on. We've received it. Our job is to give it away. I, I remember um, for our 10-year anniversary, my, my wife and I, we went to Hawaii. I had never been before. And we went to Maui, to Napili Point, and we stayed in a condo, like, on this point. And to kind of get into the water, you walk down this cliff, and you have to go through three condo associations, and then you could enter in. And it was stunning. And, and, and literally, when it was low tide, you could put on goggles and just stand, and you could just look at Finding Nemo that was all underneath. It was amazing. But then, a couple times during the day, there would be a sea change, and you'd see big waves coming, and it was fantastic. I loved it. You'd just go surf in this little cove and have the time of your life, but this whole sea level would rise. And then it's about 5, 6 p.m. We're watching whales breach. We're grilling out, when all of a sudden, I hear a woman scream, help! And I look out, and I start to see some five, six-footers rolling in, and I realize, oh, my goodness, high tides kicked in. And I don't know what happened, but it was like the spirit of David Hasselhoff came over me. And I took off running. And I'm just like, and I'm running. And I jump like one kind of condo association fence. I jump another condo association fence. And all I'm thinking about is some of my friends who are lifeguards in Huntington and Newport. And they'd gather before they took their post at their tower. And they would say, not on our watch. Not today. Nobody dies on our watch. And I'm like, God, that's my prayer. Not on our watch. I take my shirt off. I dive into the water. And I just start going. And I'm like, no, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch. I get to this woman, I put her on my back, I bring her in. She's not breathing. Eight-year-old, eight-year-old son, 11-year-old daughter come weeping. 
and she, like, we were able to resuscitate her. She, like, spits up. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, like, gigantic exhale. I grab my shirt. I put it on. Random dude holding Corona goes, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, man. <laughs> and I'm start, I start to walk. I start to walk away. And I look out from where I ran. And I, I look out on this cliff that led me. And I kid you not, there are 40 to 50 people standing at the cliff just watching it all happen. And in this moment where I felt awesome for a second, God said, let's just get something straight here. You don't even know this woman's name. And you ran like a madman to rescue her. But how often are you one of those people? When you know people in your life who are drowning in their marriage, drowning with addiction, drowning in doubt, drowning in their finances, drowning when it comes to matters of faith, how often are you one of those people? And it was one of the most holy convictions I have ever experienced. And in a moment where I could have felt awesome, I left going, I'm that guy all the time. And I started, I went back and I tried to enjoy the 10 year anniversary and I, and I did it, but I kid you not, I woke up in the mornings and I just read through the gospels again and again and again and I began to list out all of these moments where I saw Jesus say, just in his own ways, rescue people, rescue people. Who are you going after? Who in your life is just drowning? And you've got grace. You've got the answer. You've got freedom. You've got peace. You've got Jesus. Rescued people, rescued people. But the I, the I is a little bit crazy. The I is invitational fails. And you're like, what? Here's, here's the thing. When you actually go after people, you know what they're going to tell you? No. It's awesome. And which will lead you to really go, see, here's the thing. I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And trust me, I hear this all the time. People come up to me and go like, that's so nice. Like, that's what you're good at. You do you. <laughs> and I kid you not, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at listening, but when someone tells me they don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, my quick response is, well, what is your spiritual gift? And they're usually like hospitality, which I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know what you do? They're like, what? I'm like, you create a safe and secure environment for someone to feel seen and known, and they are able to experience who? Jesus, and they're like, oh, that's called evangelism. Secondly, another person might say, well, I have the gift of mercy. Awesome. You know what you are? You are the hands and feet of who? Jesus. Every spiritual gift leads to the demonstration and the proclamation of who? Jesus. It is. There is no excuse. If you have the gift of leadership, you know what you do? You bring the kingdom values of heaven and of Christ, and you Make it so that nobody, nobody can ever walk away without going, wow, that is unlike anything I've ever seen. And you're like, yeah, exactly, because that's what happens when, when Jesus, like, leads. I'm telling you, every gift, every spiritual gift is for a purpose so that people can experience the good news. But you don't understand, Steve, you don't understand. I'm an introvert. Awesome, awesome. I'm married to one. She's amazing. You know what she's really, really good at? 
for a handful of people to go super, super deep and make them feel amazing. She's not going to do that for thousands of people. But for a few people, she can do that. And here's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to be someone that you're not. Introverts are so amazing with seeing people, asking some of the best questions. But maybe just bring one person into that circle who maybe is struggling or wrestling and see them and see them well. And for some of you who are extroverts, you are like a cheap first date because you're like, bam, bam, bam. Like you just, you're like three minutes and you know people. You know people. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's getting too honest and too real. I gotta go to another person and meet them. Here's, here's all I'm saying. Don't point at your spouse. <laughs> I see that. But here's the thing. Is, is all I would say to you extroverts, use the trust and the capital that you have. Trust it. Use it. And invite someone. And again, they might tell you no. Okay. And Mark Burnett, we interviewed him once, and, and he was talking about pitching The Voice and Survivor and other shows. And he goes, every time I pitch a show, I often know that I might hear no. But when I hear no, all I hear is next opportunity. And I started to think about that. That's amazing. And it, re, it kind of like recentered because sometimes I put so much pressure on what their response will be instead of choosing to fight to hear God and being so obedient to his promptings and whispers. And if I hear God say something, do this, say this, go here. I want to be more obedient than that than rather say someone's no for them. And so what we started to do in this church that we planted in Southern California is that whenever someone went for it and got turned down or they said no, because it can feel like my junior high dance life, like we, don't, we didn't want people to like just go, I can't do this. We said, we're going to start to celebrate it. And we're going to celebrate people hearing from God and going for it. And so in staff meetings, volunteer meetings, sometimes even church services, one time this business leader guy, super introverted, goes, I got one. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is it? He goes, I was like working, and that morning I had been praying for my boss, asking God, give me a chance. Give me a chance. And so I was doing my TPS reports, which I thought was funny, and like he starts doing that when all of a sudden his boss comes in. And when his boss comes in, he's like, uh, hey, man. And he goes, hey. And he goes, um, boss, what do you do on Sundays? And the boss goes, I watch football. And he goes, oh, do you want to like go to church with me? And the boss is like, no. And he just walked away. And when he did that, the whole church was like, you went for it, Tony. And they celebrated it. And I just thought to myself, wow, what if we could just be a whole crew of people who just said, you know what? People might say no. But Mike Trout gets paid $360 million to get on base 28% of the time. Lower your expectations, but raise your expectations and challenge that when God whispers, you will respond and respond quickly. S, and this is the challenge for you. S is seven days. And here's my challenge, is to ask yourself and ask God for an only God story every seven days. You know what's amazing to me is I love, I love Jesus followers and I love Christians and I love asking them what their story is. I love asking how they came to faith. My other favorite question to ask them is, hey, when's the last time you experienced God on the move? And you know what many people do? Well, 1987, <laughs> God did something. 
And I'm like, well, when's another one? 1992, 93. It might have been the fall, winter. It carried over. But, like, God did something. And I'm like, those are the last stories you have. So, so why is that? Well, it's either, like, something happened there and your life was more open to it. Or you stop believing that God wants to use you. And so I try, I try to pray and beg God for an only God story. And when I do that, it makes my eyes and ears wide open. And so honestly, um, this is a fresh story. It's in process. Um, I used to be a pastor in Chicago. Seven years, dream job. And um, I'm on Facebook and I hear about a woman who was going through a train stop and she was walking and she was crossing over and she, there was one train stopped and she was walking, had earbuds in and she walked past the train not knowing that another one was coming and she got clipped and it ended up dying at the scene. I hear her name in this article and I'm like, oh my goodness, no. No, 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 it can't be, can't be, can't be, can't be. And then I look, and, it, and I read, and, and I know her husband, and her husband's Eric. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And in this moment, I just feel like God say, find the number. And so I go online, and I start to Google, and you, it's amazing what you can find about people's information, <laughs> but like I, I find their number, and I end up just calling I'm like, hey, man, Eric, this is Steve Carter. And he's like, what? And I just sit there, and we end up having an hour-long conversation last Friday night. And this guy, obviously, is an absolute wreck. No, no, no pastor around, not, nobody there, and he's just, ah. And then this morning, he emails me. And they did the entire visitation and the service, and he got up, and, he's, and he said this. He said, hey, because of our conversation, I was able to offer up a few thoughts, and because of that, there were a couple people who knew my wife, knew who she was, and said, hey, we will come with you the next time you want to step foot back in a church. And, and, and all of a sudden, like, I have no idea who these people are that were saying this kind of thing to Eric. But I just started thinking, all of that came from a prompting. And again, I feel like this is an only God story in process. These are always so weird to share. But, like, I feel this. And I'm trying to fight to not tell stories just from 2004 when God did amazing stuff. And I will. But not without still begging God. Because if you have an only God story... Every week, that means 52 you'll have in a year. And in five years, you'll have 260. And in 10 years, you'll have 520. Are you telling me God wouldn't just expand your faith, wouldn't expand your prayer life, wouldn't give you boldness like, boldness like you've never seen before? Start praying for that. Give me an only God story. Use me. And when he whispers, say yes. And then, okay, knees in prayer. Every movement, every revival, you study church history, has started with people in prayer. Begging God, use me. Praying over places, praying over strongholds, praying for God to do a mighty work. And I, I, I experienced this in a powerful way. 
Because when I was in college, I was given a 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon with a woody paneling. Here's what it looked like. And if you saw this, what this meant was I didn't have a date in college. But I worked at two bars in Fullerton. I worked at Pottery Barn, which I got a great deal on a Nantucket console. I was playing basketball at Cal State Fullerton. I was working a ton. And I was driving this car by myself to church. And one day, driving the Costa Mesa to Rock Harbor, I felt like God whispered to me, I gave you this car that can seat 11, and you're by yourself. And I started to name the seats in my car, and I started to pray. And the most I ever got that car filled to take to church was with eight other people. From my, from, my, from my work and from my school and from my team. And then a couple years later, I'm a junior high pastor in Michigan. I've got 100 junior high students. And I feel like God tells me, just like, hey, challenge these students. And I love junior high students because if you teach them the Bible, you give them healthy stories, you challenge them with a vision that's of the kingdom, they will rise to that challenge every single time. And so I have a whole bunch of car seats on stage. We have a big event coming in two weeks, and I just tell them this story. I preach from the book of Acts, and I just say, hey, what if we just all started to pray and name the seats and ask God for boldness? What might he do? And so two weeks later, I show up outside, and I'll promise you 96% of the, of the seats were filled. And I'm just in awe. Because I had told those students, if your mom drives a Volvo, that's a gift from God. Your dad drives a truck, you're lucky, but you still have one open seat. If, you, if, you're, if your mom drives a, a minivan, sorry, bro, that's hard. Pray, name it, claim it, ask God, see what God can do. Last car that shows up is an old country squire station wagon. And the dad gets out of the front door, goes to the very far back, opens it up, and no joke, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, it's not legal right now, 13, 14, 15, and the 16 kid gets out of the back, he's got a beehive going due east, and he looks at me and he goes, it's the miracle of the station wagon, and rolls in. <laughs> and I kid you not, I kid you not, within six months, eight of those kids gave their life to Jesus and they get baptized. And these nine go into their junior high and they go, we're starting an uprising. And nine becomes 50. And then when they become freshmen in high school, they go to one of the most difficult schools in Grand Rapids and there are 50 of them. And they're like, we're not coming in as freshmen. We are coming to start a revolution. And these 50 begin to live out the teachings of Jesus in unbelievable ways. And I play this all the way back because one kid with a beehive going due east had the audacity to name every seat, to pray for every seat, to beg God for boldness, and he said Yes, if a junior hire can do it, if a car salesman can do it, if a 21-year-old intern can do it, if I can do it, friends, say yes. How does God want to use you? And you all have influence. You all have people in your life. And you don't get another Paul unless a whole bunch of Ananias show up.
Would you please say yes? Let's pray. God, God, I don't know who in this room, but I imagine that there are some that have maybe family members that have just gone a different direction. Maybe neighbors who just, uh, walls have gone up. Maybe friends who just stopped attending church. Maybe coworkers who maybe we've just given up on. Or maybe people that we have influence with, but we just haven't leveraged it for your kingdom. But God, I pray a prayer right now that we would be people who are open, wide open to your promptings and your whispers. And maybe in your own way, just, just tell God, if you whisper and if you prompt, I will say yes. I want every person to have more only God stories. Because our world needs to see that kind of faith on display. Thank you for someone like Ananias. Thank you for the people in this room. And truth be told, we wouldn't be here if someone didn't say yes to invite us or invite our family decades ago. And so God, may we live out that truth that the way in is the way on. May we risk it all for what matters most. May we say yes. We love you, God, and all God's people said amen. Thank you.